If you have your Bibles, I'm going to teach just a little bit tonight out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. You can open it up, Matthew chapter 1. It's one of the familiar accounts of the Christmas story. And you know, one of the most amazing things to me about the Christmas story uh, is how much of it God entrusted to human beings. Isn't that really kind of amazing? That the redemption of the world, your salvation was entrusted in the hands of ordinary, everyday human beings. I want you to think about that for just a moment tonight. Think about Mary. She was young in her teenage years. That was the appropriate age and protocol of that time period. She was potentially, being that young, immature. And yet God entrusted to her the ability to make some good decisions and He literally handed over His Son, the Messiah, into her womb and into her life. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. There was Joseph who was forced to step out of the ordinary. I just started kind of meditating and thinking about the Christmas story. You know, Joseph was kind of a stepdad, wasn't he? He's kind of a stepdad. And, and for those of you that have experienced the trauma for whatever reason of perhaps divorce or maybe a spouse that died before their time, um, and you now perhaps have remarried and you're in a blended family, what they call a, a family from, from two different directions coming together to becoming one family. Do you know that the Lord can identify with you too? Because he was part of a blended family. Joseph was a stepdad. And, and yet God entrusted Joseph with certain aspects of redemption story. And he had the capacity to handle that well. The Lord trusted a number of people. And my question tonight as we just are preparing ourselves to celebrate together with a great big birthday party for Jesus, my question is this. Could, could the Lord trust you with something big? Could the Lord trust you with something really, really big? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, listen to this. Beginning with verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. And tonight I just have entitled our lesson The Person God Trusts. Can God, would God, be able to trust you with something big? I want to take just a moment and I want to focus in on Joseph. And as I talk about Joseph, I am sure that that would certainly apply what I'm about ready to share with you directly to all of the men that are here tonight. 
But uh, I really want, ladies, you to key in and listen to me as well, because I think Joseph demonstrates some characteristics that no matter whether you're male or female, I think they're genderless qualities. And if we embrace them, I honestly believe that maybe God could entrust us with some big things in the days ahead. It's interesting that there's not one recorded word that Joseph speaks in all of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You never see quotation marks following Joseph. He never says one word. We never hear his voice. We never know his thoughts. We never know anything about him, a first person, uh, from, his own, from his own lips. And yet, it's interesting that when you begin to read about him, his life speaks volumes. And perhaps that says something right here. It matters little as to all you might say. The question is, could God trust you by simply looking at what he sees? Could God trust you with something big? There are just 10 quick things I'm going to run through here. 10 characteristics of Joseph that I think enabled God to trust him. And I think in turn will enable the Lord to trust us. And we can pull it right out of the Christmas story. And we can make real practical application for all of our lives. So let's just... Let's just commit these into our heart. Maybe you have a pencil. You can write it down on a piece of paper, open up the back of your Bible, and there's usually a few blank pages in there. And and you can take a couple notes. Ten characteristics, I believe, that you can embrace that will enable God to entrust something big in your life. Number one, Joseph desired godliness of life. Scripture tells us that Joseph was a just man. The word just means that he practiced righteousness. So whatever Joseph professed and confessed with his mouth, the word tells us that he practiced what he spoke. And that really tells me something about Joseph because Joseph apparently had a track record. He wasn't a rookie believer. There was some mileage in his walk. He had passed some tests. He had won some victories. His walk with God wasn't theory, but rather it was a reality for everyone to see and to take note of. And I think if God's going to entrust us with something big, you and I are going to have to connect our ability to walk out our faith with God releasing greater things to us. You see, it's great that we can talk the talk, but there comes a moment you got to walk the walk. And so Joseph was a just man and the things that he professed, he walked. And that's the key to God giving you great things in your life. Are you walking what you say you believe. Number two, Joseph could navigate his way through unusual circumstances. Wouldn't you agree with me that you're betrothed, becoming pregnant, and you didn't have anything to do with it, and she says it's the Lord? Would constitute an unusual circumstance? I don't think it would get much more unusual than that. I I mean, for those of you that don't understand the Jewish process, to be betrothed the Jews had a totally different process than we have. Their, their engagement and betrothal and marriage followed a little bit different pattern. Betrothal was a little bit stronger than what we would call engagement. You know, in, in our society, engagement means that there's probably a wedding date coming out there somewhere. <clears throat> but the next step was betrothal. And betrothal wasn't marriage, but betrothal had the same force as marriage. And, and the only part that it didn't entail was you couldn't have a sexual relationship with your spouse when you were betrothed. You had all the other requirements, all the other stipulations of marriage, but you couldn't have 
physical intimacy. Now, he's betrothed to Mary. So in other words, all the things are in place that constitutes a marriage. They've not consummated this relationship yet. But Mary comes up pregnant. And think about this for just a moment. Her coming up pregnant, it wasn't Joseph's baby, not only would have tainted her, but it would have tainted him. Because he was just as betrothed as well. Now, this was an unusual circumstance. And I just thought to myself, you know, as a believer, you know, life isn't always neat and tidy. Sometimes unusual circumstances come up. Now, notice neither one of them sinned before the Lord, right? So we're not talking an unusual circumstance because we sinned before God. But we're talking about you've done everything you know to walk upright before the Lord and you've obeyed the Lord. And yet life just comes and it's an unusual circumstance. And, and the question is, can you navigate the seemingly mess you face? Because if God's going to give us something big, we're going to have to learn to navigate unusual circumstances. I just reflected on my life and, and some of the things that have come my direction. And you know what? The ability to navigate an unusual circumstance, I really believe, is a test that every believer has to pass in order for them to receive some great promise or some great uh, uh, blessing from the Lord. So secondly, if you want something big in your life from God, can you navigate through an unusual circumstance? Number three, Joseph was emotionally steady. He was emotionally steady. When he got a curveball thrown at him, he didn't lose his cool, did he? When Mary said, hey, Joe, I'm pregnant. Be cool. It's God. He didn't go nuts. He kept his cool. He was steady. Some folks want God to do big things in their life. But if he did, you'd be an emotional wreck. Can you handle the pressure, the stress, the strain of God moving in your life or in circumstances that are like a curveball? It's not how you would design it. Do you understand that if we design things, we design them a way that's convenient and comfortable. When God designs things, he requires faith and risk. Are you emotionally steady for that? Number four. If you want something big, Joseph could hear the voice of God. I think people that do big things and are entrusted of big things hear the voice of the Lord. Joseph received, interestingly, three dreams. In all three of these dreams, he knew unmistakably that the voice of God was speaking to him. All God had to do was send him a dream. God didn't have to send him an earthquake. God didn't have to send a hurricane and devastate the area. God didn't have to send an airplane into a twin tower. God didn't have to do something tragic, traumatic, off the chart. God could speak to him in a dream and Joseph could hear the voice of the Lord. If God releases a great promise to you, what would it take for him to keep giving you directions once you received it? It's interesting that many of us know how to receive a promise, but they become deaf to the Lord once they get it. God may promise you a number of things. God may speak great things and give you hope. But if you can't hear the voice of the Lord to lead you along, I'm not sure the big thing will ever manifest in your life. Number five, Scripture tells us that he was willing to obey what he heard. You know, it's one thing to hear God's voice. It's another thing to obey what God has said. It's just like tonight. You know, I, I know I'm not the Lord. I understand that. I am, I'm keenly aware that Jesus had much longer hair than I did. So I, I understand 
that there's no mistaking me for Jesus. I got that. But I also understand the nature of preaching. The nature of teaching. I understand that in, in this moment, God is able to use it as it has been as it has been brought before the Lord in prayer and as it's been sought over and as it's being declared right now to you and as the Holy Spirit is using it to talk to your life, that at this moment, though I'm not God and you're not God, God is using this moment with these words to speak to you and all of us are hopefully hearing it. That, that's always a, a keen point every Sunday. Are, are we really hearing what's being said? But let's say you really heard what was said. Then there's the next astronomical point, and that is to obey what you've heard. Will you do what you hear the Lord speaking to you to do? I'll never forget years ago. It was right in the beginning of Legacy's existence, so it had to have been nearly eight plus years ago. It was at the end of a service, and, and we just had a normal, regular type service. And it was, and when I say regular, it was, I wasn't talking about money. I wasn't talking about finances. I wasn't talking about the offering. I wasn't talking about anything like that. It was just a normal, regular service. For all I know, we could have been talking about how to get your prayer life better, for all I know. But there was a lady that came up to me, un, totally unsolicited. And she looked at me and said to my face, she said, God is telling me to write a check. I said, well, okay. You know, like, what do you say to that? You know, God, she didn't say you're telling me. She didn't say she said God is telling me to do this. And I hadn't said a word in the service. But then she said, but I don't want to do it. And I'm standing there listening to this and like I'm saying we're we're Protestant here. I am not your priest and I'm not going to absolve you or something like that. I don't know why you're telling me this. And, and, and making a long story short, she didn't. And can I just share this with you? It's not about money. In this case, that's what God was talking to her about. It could be as simple as God talking to you about going across the street and just talking to your neighbor. And you say, I don't want to do it. Or it could be uh, him picking up a phone and calling someone you hadn't talked to and, and just share a little bit with them and reconnecting. It could be something simple as that that God's telling you to do. And you say, I don't want to do it. The issue isn't what it is he's asking you to do. The issue is whether you will do it or not. And, and she didn't want to do it. And can I share this with you? I, I honestly believe at that moment she was at a crossroads. And because she didn't pass the obedience test that God had spoken to her, she slipped away. And, and the thing was, it's not so much that tragically that she slipped away and, and, and life has taken some really terrible turns for this particular person. But the thing was, she'll never find out that in that simple act of obedience that God wasn't ready to give her something big. She'll never know. Because you see, God entrusts big things to people who not only hear, but to those that are willing to obey. Number six, if you really want something big from God, Joseph demonstrates that he had self-control. Now, I don't know, this may be just a guy's thing primarily, but I guess I'll just say it out loud. I know there are kids here, and if there are kids here, ask mom and dad later about this, all right? I'm not going to get into this too, too much, but, but can you imagine being betrothed, and, and then you go ahead and receive her as your wife? And you go without consummating this relationship. I'm going to use some big words here just to navigate around the kids. And so this relationship can't be consummated for nine months. 
And all the guys say, ouch. Ouch. Inconceivable. I, I guarantee in the 21st century, that is inconceivable. I mean, a few days put some guys on edge. I mean, can you imagine? Nine months. Do you know the reason why God doesn't give us nations? You know, the Bible says that the nations are our inheritance. The reason God doesn't give us nations is because we can't run our households. And we can't run our marriages. And we can't run our homes and our families. We can't run ministries. God gives us ministries and, and pastors lose their mind. There's no self-control. Why would God give somebody a big thing when they can't control themselves? Don't think you're going to govern the world when you haven't learned to govern yourself. But Joseph demonstrated self-control. Number seven, I find it interesting that God entrusted a big thing to a guy who was submitted to authority. It's interesting that when the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, Joseph didn't initially start a tea party movement. Now, I've offended tea partiers here, I'm sure. Now listen, I understand taxes are too high. I don't like them either. And I understand I could even make a biblical case that we're in the, we're in the tyranny section now. I, I, I understand. So just, but go with me with what I'm trying to point out here. Joseph, Joseph had the capacity to pick his family up as was decreed. And he went, and he went to his hometown in order to take a census so they could be taxed. And he had a heart. Now listen, whatever else you may think about all of this, the fact of the matter is, is that Joseph had a heart to obey authority. Why should God trust you with anything when you won't trust him through the delegated authority in your life? Do you understand that when, when he takes his, his, his beloved Mary with him to Bethlehem, she's on the brink of giving birth to the Messiah. They've gone through all of these passages I just read to you. They understand God is in this. And all of a sudden there's this decree that goes out. And don't you think there couldn't have been just a moment where he would have thought to himself, because everyone knows you wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have blogged about it or he wouldn't have put it out there, you know, so Caesar would have heard it. But inside of his own you know, little abode there. He could have said, Caesar's nuts. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do it this way, this way, this. And, but Joseph had a capacity and maybe it was because he knew the prophecies of the word, like in Micah, where it says, Oh, Bethlehem, you who are the least of those in Judah out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Maybe, maybe Joseph had read his Bible just enough. When he heard the decree go out from Caesar Augustus, then in his heart he could obey authority because he could also stand on God's word and, and maybe he would say to himself, somehow, some way, God's in this. And God could entrust something big to him. See, the reason some of us can't be entrusted with anything big from God is because you won't, you won't trust God through authorities that are in your life. But Joseph could. Number eight. Joseph got a big thing because he understood personal responsibility. It's interesting, Joseph not only married Mary when it wasn't convenient, but he raised a child he did not personally father. But when he also got to Bethlehem and found no room at the inn, instead of just kind of shrugging his shoulders and saying, I don't know what we're going to do. He did his best to find them appropriate housing. And all through the story of Joseph, you find that he was a man who embraced personal responsibility. 
You know, we hear a lot, don't we, in the church about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've heard a lot in the charismatic movement, in the full gospel movement, about those who are personally being led by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus, and I believe you can be personally led by the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing how we always want our, our own control, and we're so personal, except when it comes to responsibility. We're also to be personally responsible. Everyone wants the benefits. Nobody wants the responsibility. We want our autonomy, but we don't want it with responsibility. And it doesn't work that way. And even Joseph understood that. If God's going to give you something big, then you're going to have to be a person who understands personal responsibility because God's handing it to you. He's handing it to me. If God gives me something, I understand that, that if God gives it, he, he, he tends to it, He empowers me. But there's something in me that says, man, this is God's and I'm responsible for it. So I better handle it well. Number nine, Joseph got something big from the Lord because he had what I put down here, godly flexibility. Joseph could go with the flow of divine change. How many of you here tonight know that God never changes? Isn't that true? I've heard people say this, God never changes. You're right, God never changes, but you're not God. Which means if he ain't changing, you may be changing. In fact, I've found I change quite a bit as I conform to this changeless God. And here God was working in Joseph's life. And there were a number of curveballs that I've already mentioned to you. And, and, and can you imagine all of a sudden, you know, the, the Magi have come, they've worshipped and they've given you all of these gifts. And all of a sudden it's like hitting the lottery. You've all, you I mean, you're, you're heavily endowed right now. And all of a sudden you've got to pack up and spend it all and go off to Egypt and spend a few years in Egypt. I don't know about you. Egypt would not have been. Egypt would, for me, like now, it'd be, it'd be like going to the upstate and, 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 and having to live in Arcadia or someplace like that. Or, or Yuna. You don't even know where that is. That's why I don't want to go there. That's like Egypt. I was up the road the other day looking at the properties that we've been given as a church. And, and I praise God for that, that mega blessing. But I'm, I, I'm not living in Dillon, South Carolina. I'm just here to tell you. I'm grateful I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. But God, I'm just, God says you're going, Joseph, you're going to Dillon. Can you, can't, hey, how many of you know, going to Egypt was God's will. I wish God would. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if he told us all his plans up front? Wouldn't it be nice if, like, once you got born again, he just downloaded you some big old thick manual and just said, read it and everything will be in there and it'll all be cool and just, wouldn't that be neat? But that's not how it works. It never works that way. Why? It's because you'd get the manual and you'd flip out. I mean, I mean, you just got to go a day with Jesus. You just got to walk a day with the Lord. Come on, get a day under your belt. And if you can handle a day, because there's enough curveballs between now and tomorrow that if, that if you can't handle that, you're not going to handle knowing where you're going to be a year, two, three, five, ten. If he told you where you'd be ten years from now, you might look at that and say, I ain't going there. You might look at that and say, ain't no way, no how. And so you've got to begin to be flexible. He expects us to be pliable and flexible. That's why the scripture says he is the potter and we are the clay. He molds and he makes. And Joseph got transferred a number of times. In Jesus' early years. 
He had a godly flexibility. And then finally, number 10. God wants to give you a big thing. Number 10 is Joseph didn't have to get the credit. Joseph didn't have to get the credit. You know, truth is, when you think about all the times you have celebrated Christmas, and I'm probably talking to those of you that are a little bit older. You've got a few Christmases under your belt. You've been to church maybe at a, at a Christmas service on a Christmas Sunday, maybe on a Christmas Eve, and you've heard the story numerous times. We all know how it works out. We all know the players. And truth is that most of the time when we hear the Christmas story, Joseph doesn't get as much emphasis as everybody else. You know, Joseph's there. and We know he's there. And then maybe there's a moment or two like what I'm doing tonight, and we'll kind of emphasize him just a little bit. But we rarely hear a lot about Joseph in the Christmas season, and yet he plays such a critical role. And the thing that finally dawned on me just as I was scratching the notes out for tonight was this. And it's, and it's simply Joseph, as important as he was in this whole story. And I realized Mary carried the Messiah. I get how important she was. She, she may be number one on the list. But Joseph was the one that had to shepherd and move that promise at a moment's notice where it needed to go. And how it needed to be. I mean, without Joseph, the story really wouldn't be the same. But yet we don't say much about him and sometimes don't think much about him. And finally it came to me why. It's because Joseph didn't need to get the credit. Maybe that's why his words aren't even in the scripture. It's because he didn't have to have the credit. And I believe that God can release great things to us when we get to the place we don't care who gets the credit. I mean, if God wanted to do something big in your life, think about this. And I mean, really get it before the Lord and let him talk to you. If God was speaking to you right now and he were to say your name, whatever it may be, I'm, I'm ready to give you something big. If I gave it to you and let you have it, would you receive it even if you didn't get the credit for it? Would you still embrace it? I think that's a big question. And to be candid, I've been trying to live more that way lately. Because when it's all said and done, the truth of the matter is I'm going to be a blip on the historical line. Just one little blip. Yep, there was Kevin Baird right there. Blip. And if Jesus tarries, that line of history will just keep on rolling. And when it's all said and done, the only thing that ultimately matters is whether or not God's will and ways and purposes and plans were accomplished in my life and in our life. If, if I were to get any credit, can I just say this? If we were to get any credit here, the scripture already tells us you got your reward. Why, why, why don't we just do it without getting any credit so when the, when the most important day comes, we get the credit from the one who it means the most from anyone. See, that's why Joseph could get a big thing. That's what, that's what a Christmas at least is a part of. God sent the biggest thing. It was his son. Came into this earth in order that you and I might not linger and languish in our sin any longer. But that we might have a relationship with him. And once that relationship was established, then God says, I want to move through you and I want to use you in ways that will be redemptive in all the earth so that others might come to know me as well. It's really what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the gospel all wound up one more time into Jesus' birthday party. Amen. In the last few moments we spend together here, we're going to uh, 
We're going to be lighting candles, and it's kind of a tradition in Christmas week. Let me just share with you why we do this. And, and by the way, if you have children with you tonight, they're welcome to hold the candles as well. But parents, please parent. All right? We're, we're fired tonight, so please be aware of what's going on with hot wax and with candles, and we appreciate that very much. But we light candles because it's an illustration. It's an illustration of, of the light of Jesus Christ breaking into the darkness of our life. And the best passage in the gospel is in John's gospel, and I just want to read it real quickly before we douse the lights and we, we just enjoy the candlelight as we sing Christmas carol together. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, it says this. It says, In Him, meaning Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. That word literally means the darkness couldn't overcome it. And in just a moment, we're going to douse the lights in this room. And, and I know there'll be a, a few little lights on, but it'll be predominantly dark. And the neat thing about when you light the candle and when you begin to sing the song is that the darkness, you see, the darkness can't overcome the light. The light always overcomes the darkness. And it's just an illustration that, that Jesus came into a dark world. And can I just say for those of you that have opened your heart up to him and you know him, and I suspect it could be everyone in the room tonight, but if you've opened up your heart to him, he came into your dark heart. And he put light in there, never to be the same again. So will you stand with me and let's pray and 